Welcome to Choice Classic Radio. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and help keep this show alive by donating at choiceclassicradio.com. For more of your favorite old-time radio shows, join us on our companion podcast, Choice Classic Radio Detectives, where we bring to you tales from the greatest detective shows the golden age of radio had to offer. The Campbell Playhouse, Orson Welles, producer. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. The play tonight, what every woman knows. Our guest, Miss Helen Hayes. Except that Helen Hayes is now so regular a visitor to the Campbell Playhouse that we're bold to call her a member of the family. So I think I've told you she's promised to appear with us, and only with us, as many times this year as she can manage. Last week she was busy getting ready a new play, which opens soon on Broadway. But tonight, openings notwithstanding, she kept her promise, and here she is to play Maggie for you. Maggie, in the beautiful, warm-hearted comedy, What Every Woman Knows. J.M. Barry wrote no better play. And if you saw Miss Hayes in the play or the moving picture, you will never forget it. I'd like to tell you more about it. I'd like to talk about Barry, about Miss Hayes, too, but I'd rather give the time to show itself. And I hope when it's over, you'll agree with me. Now, just before we begin, here's a word from Ernest Chappell. The other night, I had an opportunity to look over a real old American family cookbook. And as I turned the pages, I was particularly struck by the number of different recipes for preparing chicken. Just for the fun of it, I counted them. And would you believe it? There were 88. Now, of course, some of us like chicken prepared one way, some another. But however we prefer it, roasted to a delicate brown, crisply fried in southern style, or tenderly fricasseed, there's just no denying that we in this country do like our chicken. Now, I think it's because we like chicken so well that Campbell's Chicken Soup continues to grow so steadily in popularity. Here, indeed, is a chicken that is chicken, through and through. From your first appreciative sip of the golden gleaming broth to the last delicious drop, you'll taste real chicken. And there are whole pieces of tender chicken meat in it and fluffy white rice full of the flavor of the chicken to add still more to your hearty enjoyment of this homey, old-fashioned chicken soup. And so I say... Just as sure as you like chicken, you like Campbell's chicken soup. Won't you have it for dinner, perhaps tomorrow night? And now Helen Hayes and Orson Welles tell us what every woman knows. A few minutes ago, the clock in the Wiley home struck ten. And a few minutes before that, Alec Wiley and David, his son, came in from outside wearing black coats and their Sabbath boots. Now they've sat down in the little room which David calls the West Room, while his father calls it the Room, which is to him the natural name for any apartment without a bed in it. Maggie Wiley, who is David's sister, calls it the Library because there's a bookcase of pitch pine along one wall which contains 600 books with a glass door to prevent you from getting at them. We could describe Maggie Wiley for you at great length, but what's the use? What you really want to know is whether she's good-looking. No, she's not. She has soft scotch speech and a more resolute manner than is perhaps fitting to her plainness, and, well, in a few seconds she'll be with you herself. Maggie who's not good-looking. Who was at the meeting, Father? Well, Maggie, that was the minister of Galley Shield. You have to be remembered, dear. Father. And, I mean, I mean... I suppose you mean what you say, Father. I hear, David, that the minister of Galley Shield is to be married to that Miss Turnbull. Well, I can see she's made a poor bargain. How can you say that, Father, when you don't know her? 
I expect she's full of charm. Charm? What is that exactly, Maggie? Charm? Oh, it's a sort of bloom on a woman. If you have it, you don't need anything else. And if you don't have it, it doesn't much matter what else you have. Some women, the few, have charm for all, and most have charm for one. And some have charm for none. Well, I have a sister that has charm. No, David, you haven't. But, Maggie, you... Oh, come, come now. <laughs> let's be practical. Let's go to our bed. It's quarter after ten. Well, uh, I don't feel very sleepy, eh? Nor me either. You go along, Maggie. Good night to you, Maggie. Both of you aren't sleepy? When is this well-known ten o'clock? Is our regular bedtime? Yes, it's common knowledge that we go to our beds at ten, Maggie. That's what we're counting on. Counting on? Uh, yes, keep it going, Wilp. Now go outside and watch. Yes, Father. There's something up. You've got to tell me, Father. Maggie, there are burglars about. Burglars? Uh, we hadn't meant for to tell you till we nabbed them, but they've been in this room twice of late. Oh. The policeman saw a man climb out of this window last Tuesday. Father, the silver plate. That's uh, as yet. But still, we were thinking that very likely he'd come again tonight. So now, if you'll go to bed, Maggie. Me? And my family in danger? Uh, there's just one of them. The policeman just saw one. I'd be very, I'd be very pleased if there were two of them. I would be very pleased if there were three of them. And I watch with you. Father, who... Father, he's there. I saw him sliding down the garden wall close to the rhubarb. Oh, what's he like? He's an ugly customer. That's all I could see. Slunk into the rhododendrons. And he's there now, watching the window. We have him. Out with the light. Maggie, you go upstairs. I will not. Uh, then into the hall with you. Stay there behind the door. David, you go into the kitchen. I'll be in the hall with Maggie. Yes, behind the door. Quick. He's coming. No, it's not. It's the bookcase. It's right in the light. He's sitting down. And in the fine chair, too. Come on. John Sand. I hope you found that chair comfortable, young man. I have no complaint to make against the chair. John Sand, you, a native of the town, a disgrace to your family. I feel pity for the Sands this night. I'll thank you, Mr. Wiley, not to pity my family. If they are looking for a good clout in the head, John Sand. Now, David. I think we should let the young man explain. It may not be so bad as we thought. Explain away, my Billy. Only the uneducated would need an explanation. I'm a student and I'm desperate for want of books. You have all I want here on that shelf, no use to you but for display. Well, I came here to study. I come twice weekly. By the window? Huh. You think a shan would so far lower himself as to enter your door? Well, what about it? Is it a case for the police? It seems to me it's a case for us all to go to our bed and leave the young man to study. But not on the fine chair. Thank you, Miss Maggie, but I couldn't be beholden to you. Oh, tell me, Mr. Shan. Are you a poor scholar? On the contrary, I'm a brilliant scholar. What do you profess his opinion of your future? They think me a young man of extraordinary promise. Ah, you have a name here for high moral character. And justly. Are you serious-minded? I never laughed in my life. Are you a Sabbath school teacher? I am. One more question. Have you promised? Dear lady? Yes. I've never given one of them a single word of encouragement. I'm too much occupied thinking about my career. So, uh, Father, if you'll come outside just one minute, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. Yes, David. Do you want me to, Father? No, Maggie, just Father. You stay here and keep an eye on Mr. Stan. What? I don't know what maggots have got in their heads, but... Sit down, young man, till they come back. My name's Mr. Shand. Until I'm called that, I decline to sit down again in this house. Then I'm thinking, young sir, you'll have a weary wait. You'll have a thimbleful of something to keep the cold out. Glasses, Margaret. You're not a totaler, I hope. I'm practically a totaler. Well, so are we. How do you take it? Margie, will you get the glasses? Yes, David. No, David, quick. Of course, she comes back. Mr. Stan, we have enough to make it. No patronage. Strictly a business affair. Leave it to me, Father. Uh, Margie, don't you see you're not wanted? I do, David. Why do you not go then? 
I have a proposition to put before Mr. Shand and to women are out of place in business transactions. I think I'll stay here, Father. Well, you have to let her bide, Daddy David. Very well, then. But Maggie, sit here at the table and don't interfere, mind. Mr. Shand, we are willing, the two of us, to lay out 300 pounds on your education. Take care. On condition that five years from now, Maggie Wiley is still unmarried, can claim to marry you should such be her wish. <laughs> the thing to be perfectly open on her side, but you to be strictly tied down. Now, what have you to say? Decide. I regret to say it. There's no matter what you regret to say because I decide against it. Oh, and I think it's very ill done of you to make any such proposal. Quiet, Maggie. Seeing that I've refused the young man. Refused? That's no reason why we shouldn't have his friendly opinion. Oh. Your objections, Mr. Shan? Simply, it's a one-sided bargain. I admit I'm no catch at present, but what could a man of my abilities not soar to with 300 pounds? Something far above what she could aspire to. Oh, indeed. The position is that without the 300, you can't soar. You have me there, Mr. Yes, Wiley. You see yourself, God in Maggie. You don't need to take him unless you like. But he has to take you. Yeah, that's an unfair arrangement also. I wouldn't dream of it without that condition. Then you are thinking of it. <laughs> it's a good arrangement for you, Mr. Shan. The chances are you'll never have to go on with it, for in all probability she'll marry soon. She's tremendous run after. Well, even if that's true, it's just keeping me in reserve in case she misses doing better. That's the situation in a nutshell. Another thing. Supposing I was to get fond of her. It's very likely. Yes. And I suppose she was to give me the go-by. You have to risk that, Mr. Shan. What's her age? She looks young, but they say it's the curls that does it. Well, Maggie's one of those women who are eternally young. I can't take that for an answer. Uh, she's 25. I'm just 21. Uh, reading a book about four years difference in the ages is the ideal thing. Well, Mr. Shan. I'm willing if she's willing. Maggie. There can be no if about it. It must be an offer. Ah, Shan, give a Wiley such a chance to humiliate him, never. Then all is off. Come, come, Mr. Shan, it's just a form. Well, Miss Maggie, will you? Is it an offer? Yes. Oh. Before I answer you, I want first to give you a chance at drawing back. Maggie. When they said that I'd been run after, they were misleading you. Nobody's ever been after me. Oh, they will be it. And there's one thing more. David said I'm 25. He's wrong. I'm 26. Aha! Uh -huh. Now, be practical, Mr. Shan. Do you withdraw from the bargain? Or do you not? It's a bargain. And so be it. I'll have the document ready for you. I think, Maggie, you might say, uh, see Mr. Shan to the door. Certainly. This way, John. Have your muffler, John? Yes, I have. I think you better put it twice Well, well, it's a most romantic affair. I wonder who it'll turn out. She's queer, Maggie. I wonder who... Now, some clever writer has never noticed how queer women are. It's my belief you can write a whole book about them. It was very noble of her to tell him she's 26. But I thought she was 27. <laughs> John Chan's great hour has come. Perhaps his great hour really lies ahead of him. Perhaps he had it six years ago. It often passes us by in the night with such a faint call that we don't even turn in our beds. But according to the trumpets, this is John's great hour. He's standing for Parliament, and this is election night. I'm elected. Oh, Majority 244. I'm John Shand, MP. Majority 244. I've beaten the baronet. I've done it, Maggie. And not a soul to help me. I've done it alone. Yes, John. Oh, I'm as hoarse as a crow and I have to address the Calcadden Club. Well, you stay right there, John, and rest yourself a minute. What are you frowning at? I was thinking it's a peregrine. Just because I beat him, he took mean advantage and congratulated me in French. Oh, would it help you, John, if you were to marry a woman who could speak French? Not at all. <laughs> Mon cher John, laissez-moi parler français. Je suis la seule française de ma famille écossaise. Listen to her, John. <laughs> listen to her. She's been learning French without knowing it. Very good, Maggie. Very oh. good. 
Wait a minute, John. Look at this. Look at this. This is London. And this is our first reception. And Mrs. John Sand is receiving at the door. How do you do, Sir Peregrine? Is it fair to vous it très bien? So sorry we beat you at the polls. I'm thinking the baronet would sit on you, Maggie. I've invited a lord to sit on the baronet. Maggie, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's too swell. They're outside, a carriage and pair. Two ladies and they ask to see you. You know who they are? One of them is Lady Sybil Templeton. Lady Sybil, eh? Who's she, That's the sister of the baronet. A married woman? Uh, no, Maggie. And there's an older lady. Foreigner, she sounds like. What am I to say to them, Mr. Shan? They am very busy, but if they care to wait in here, I hope presently to give them a few minutes. Good heavens, Mr. Shan, you've got to that. You heard what I said? Yes, Mr. Shan. Come on now. Yes, I'll go up and let the crowd see me from the window. Uh, help, help him, I'll be back in a moment, Maggie. Wait, but John, what are we to do with these ladies? Yeah. You're accepted, Maggie. Oh, but John, John, Oh, Father, I'm afraid. This way, my lady. Yes, my lady, Mr. Shan said for you to wait. Oh, did you really, Sir Tom King? Yes, I do, Sybil. I insist on seeing the great man. Oh, dear. Will you have a chair, my lady? Oh, thanks. Ah, so these are Mr. Shanted quarters, eh? They are. Ah, how fascinating. If you'll excuse me, lady, I'll uh, go and tell Mr. Shand you're here. Oh, really, there is no hang. I'll tell him. I'll tell him now. He seems so educated. Perhaps he's some relation of Mr. Shand, eh? Sybil, uh... Sibyl, I believe you're asleep. No, I'm not, Auntie. Sibyl, don't you love a strong, self-made man? Huh? I never met one. Ah, neither have I. But if you did meet one, would he wake you up? How do you say he'd find the two of us? Ah, I think you would. Ever been in love, you cold thing? I've never shot up in flame, Auntie. Think you could it if Mr. Wright came along? <laughs> Yes? Mr. Chandler was in the right direction. Oh, thank you. Uh, Lady Sibyl and I were wondering, um, is this young Mr. Chan a married man? No, no, he's not married. But he will be soon. Oh? Uh, is he a, a friend of yours? I don't think much of her. Well, in that case, tell me all about her. There's not much to tell. She's common. Stupid. Oh, but it is not that sad. Oh, figure to her yourself uh, how many men with greatness before them have been shipwrecked by marrying in the rank from which they sprang. I've told her that, but she will not give him up. No. Oh, I should be the care for her. What's her name? It's Maggie. Oh, that is very, very sad, is it not? I am afraid this Maggie will be the ruin of Oh, that's enough. He's coming down. All right, I'll get you ladies waiting. Lady Sybil. Oh, Mr. Chan, this is my aunt, the Countess Labriere. Countess. What a triumph, Mr. Chan. Oh, pretty fair, Countess, pretty fair. Lady Sybil, I hear you think I'm vulgar. Oh, my dear, Mr. Chan, what a dream. I was told you said that after hearing me speak. Well, it's quite a mistake. Is it not true? Well, you seem to know, Mr. Chan. And you press me so unnecessary. Well, yes, that is how you struck me. Would have it. I just wanted to know, Lady Sybil, because if it's true, I must alter it. Of course, it can't matter to me what you think of me. What I mean is that I must not be vulgar if it would be injurious to my career. I see. No, of course, I could not affect your career, Mr. Sand. Uh, that's so, Lady Sybil, meaning no offense. And we are friends again. Certainly. Then I hope you'll come and see me when you're in London. I'll be very pleased. Any afternoon, about five. Much obliged, Lady Sybil. Uh, goodbye till then. Auntie, I do think we'd better be getting back to the hotel. Very well, my dear. Okay, the ladies are going. Oh, goodbye, Lady Sybil. Goodbye. Goodbye, Auntie. Lady Sybil, if you'll allow me to see you through the crowd, I, I think perhaps... Are you then the Maggie? Oh, the one that John is going to marry? Oh, but if I'd known, I would not have said those things. Please, Miss Maggie, forgive an old woman. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I admire your courage. And I dare say you will be very happy. Thank you. Good night, Miss Maggie. Goodbye, Countess. Countess. Ah, that's that. Have you more speaking to do, John? I must run across and address the Cockhats Club. Oh, yes. I wonder if I am vulgar, Maggie. Oh, no, John, of course you're not. John, you, you couldn't stay and have a little talk a few minutes, huh? Yes, if you want me, Maggie. The longer you keep them waiting, the more they think of you. When are you to announce that we're to be married, John? Well, it won't be long. You've waited a year more than you need to have done, Maggie. So I think it's your due I should hurry things up. That noble of you. Is it terribly hard to you, John? It's not hard at all. I can say truthfully, Maggie, that all and nearly all I've seen of you in these six years has gone to increase my respect for you. 
respect. And a bargain's a bargain. If it wasn't that you're so glorious to me, John, I would let you off. In my opinion, Maggie, we'll be a very happy pair. Yes, John. But can you look in my face and deny that there's surging within you a mighty desire to be free? Leave such maggots alone. If I were John Sand, I would no more want to take Maggie Wiley with me through that beautiful door that's opened wide for you than I'd want to take an old pair of shoes. Why don't you bang the door in my face, John? A bargain's a bargain, Maggie. You say one word about wanting to get out of it, and I put the lawyers on you. Have I hinted at such a thing? The document holds you hard and fast. It does. You'll miss the prettiest thing in the world, John. And all owing to me. What's that? Romance. Oh. All cold and grey without it, man. Those that have had it have slipped in and out of heaven. Ah, you're exaggerating, Maggie. Ah, you've worked so hard, John. You've had none of the fun that comes to most men long before they're your age. I never was one for fun. I cannot call to mind, Maggie, ever having laughed in my life. No. You have no sense of humor. Not a spark. Mm-mm. I sometimes thought if you had, it might make you fonder of me. I think one needs a sense of humor to be fond of me. You feel sure, I suppose, that an older man wouldn't suit you better, Maggie? I couldn't feel surer of anything, I'm afraid. You're just my ideal. Yes, yes, well... That's as it should be. David has a document, too. It's carefully locked away. He would naturally take good care of it. John, I make you a solemn promise that in consideration of the circumstances of our marriage, if you should ever fall in love, I'll act differently from otherwise. That is case, Maggie. John, David doesn't have the document. He thinks he has, but I have it here. Look, yes, that's it. Well, do I mind the look of it, Maggie? You don't ask why I brought it. Oh, why did you? Because I thought I might have the womanliness and the courage to give it back to you. Will you never hold it against me in the future, John, that I couldn't do that? I promise you, Maggie, I never will. No, to go back to the house and take up my life there, when all these years my eyes have been centered on this night, to go back there and weasel and dry up when I might have been married to John Shan. And you will be, Maggie. You have my word. Never! In no circumstances, Maggie, would I allow any meddling with my career. I pledge myself. I pledge myself. I pledge myself to the preservation of human liberty. But, gentlemen, one may have too much even of freedom. No, no. Yes, Mr. Adamson, and Mrs. Adamson, one may want to be tied. I say yes, Willie Cameron, and I have found a young lady who I am proud to say is willing to be tied to me. I'm to be married. Her name's Miss Quiet. Her name's Miss Wiley. She's here now. She was here. Where are you, Maggie? I'm here. I'm here, but I'm so little you can't see me. Father, have you got a grip of her? Yes, David, I've got her. Then how is that up? Gentlemen, the future, Mrs. John Chan. No, no, no. Being a lady, she can't make a speech. Yes, I can make a speech, and I will make a speech, and it's in two words, and there be my Playoffs presentation of What Every Woman Knows, starring Helen Hayes and Orson Welles. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
This is Ernest Chappell welcoming you back to the Campbell Playhouse. In a moment, we shall resume our presentation of what every woman knows. I want to take just a minute to talk to the best home cook in the world. I don't know who she is, but if she lives at your house, I hope she's listening to me. She's the good home cook whose boiled frosting, for instance, is just right every time. And whose years of cooking have taught her how to make a cream sauce that's a miracle of smoothness. Naturally, we all honor her for the pride she takes in preparing her fine dishes. And so it's to her, especially, that I want to say this about Campbell's soup. All the skill, the patience, the careful tending of the kettle that you would give to the making of soup, we at Campbell's give to the blending and cooking of our soup. Years and years devoted just to soup cooking have helped us learn how to make them as fine as soup can be. You'll understand why we're proud of our soup and why we'd like to make soup for you. Will you give us a trial? Try, for example, Campbell's chicken soup, a soup with deep, rich chicken flavor clear through. Or try Campbell's vegetable soup, a soup that's almost a meal in itself. If you'll do this, I'm almost certain you'll join the many, many other good home cooks who put away their soup kettles for good. I believe you'll let Campbell's make soup for you, too. Now we resume our Campbell Playhouse presentation of what every woman knows, starring Helen Hayes and Orson Welles. A few minutes ago, the Countess de la Briere, who has not recently been in England, was shown into the London house of the Shams. She had presumed that the Shan scheme of decoration would be as themselves. She is agreeably surprised. In a small but charming room, she is now engaged in listening to Mr. John Shand, M.P., read the peroration of a speech he is going to make before the House of Commons. Mrs. Shand is there, too, in a little gray frock that not only deals gently with her personal defects, but is in harmony with the room. Evidently, however, she has not risen with her husband, for she is as stupid as ever. The Countess, who remembers having liked her the better of the two, could shake her now for being so stupid. In conclusion, Mr. Speaker, there are the reasonable demands of every intelligent English woman. Uh, I'd better say British woman. And I am proud to nail them to my flag. Oh, decisive leaders. So long as I can do so without embarrassing the government. Ah, uh, ah, uh, Mr. Speaker. I warn the front bench, loyally but firmly... Now, sir, in the game. ...that though I will not bring this matter to a vote just now... Uh -huh. I will bring it forward again in the near future. But not to bring the matter to a vote is hedging, isn't it, John? Is that strong? Well, to make the speech at all, Maggie, is stronger than most would dare. Mm. They'd ruin me if I pressed for a vote. Mm. Bark, but not bite. Oh, now, now, Maggie, you're out of your depth. Yes, I suppose that's it. And now I think I'd better go to my committee. Maggie, I'm ready. Will you open the doors? <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies. Good afternoon. And now, Mrs. Smithers, if you'll kindly call this Well, Miss Maggie, well... As I looked through the door of the ladies' committee just now, I caught sight in there of my dear niece. Since when has my dear Sybil become one of Mr. Shant's committee ladies? It is not like her. I think it was about the time that my husband took up their call. Mrs. Shant, excuse me for saying that if half what I hear is be true, your husband is seeing that lady a great deal too often. Mrs. Shant, why do you not compel yourself to take an intelligent interest in your husband's work? Uh, I type right this speech, but do you know what they are about? Uh, they are about various subjects. Mm, I see. Mrs. the gentleman to see you. To see me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, will you ask him to come in, please? Yes, ma'am. The card says Mr. Charles Venables. Charles Venables? Mr. Venables is a minister of your cabinet, one of the most powerful men in the country. Really, country? Since you know him so little, why should he call on you? I wonder. Mr. Charles Venable, I hope you'll pardon my calling, Mrs. Shand. We had such a pleasant talk the other evening. I think it's very kind of you. Do you know each other? The Comtesse de la Brière? Mrs. Shand is how delightful. Mrs. Shand, I warn you, Mr. Venables is an old friend of mine. He is here for some crafty purpose. Oh, surely not. I hope your husband is well, Mrs. Shand. Yes, thank you. You know, Mrs. Shand, I admire your husband very much. It puzzles me a little. I've known few men make a worse beginning in the house. He had the most atrocious borough public park manner. No, he hadn't. Well, first he did. But by the second session, he shed all that. And he's now a pleasure to listen to. I think so. Then again, I admire him for his impromptu speeches. What's impromptu? Unprepared. Oh. They have contained some grave blunders, uh, not so much of judgment as of taste. I don't think so. Well, he's righted himself subsequently in the neatest way. 
I know we found that men whose second thoughts are good is worth watching. Mind you, I'm wondering, Mr. Venables, whether Mr. Sun can tell you who gives Mr. Sun these second thoughts. Ah, no, you have even thought it might be his wife. Me? Oh, I would like to see anybody try to give thoughts to John. Oh, <laughs> forgive me, I see I was wrong. And now, uh, if he's at home, Mrs. Shen, may I see him? I'm going to be rather charming to him. Yes, he is. Uh, yes, but... Well, that is to say, if he uh, proves himself the man I believe him to be. He's very busy just now. He has a ladies' committee in the dining room. I think you'll see me, Mrs. Shen. Is it something about his speech? Well, uh, yes, it is. Oh, I know it by heart. These are the demands of the intelligent British woman, and I'm proud to nail them to my flag. Look very well, Mrs. Shen. And I don't care how they may embarrass the government. <laughs> and I warn them front bench loyally but firmly. That whatever the consequences may be, I will bring this matter to a vote. Capital, capital. Oh, you mean you are pleased oh. to know that he needs to bring the matter to a vote? Delighted. Courage of it will be the making of him. Is he shared? Let's have him in at once. Yes, indeed. Yes, Let us have him in. Oh, yes, Mr. Venable. I'll tell him you're here. And uh, now, ladies, we come to the matter of my speech. Uh, the uh, speech that I propose to make this week before the House of. Yes, Maggie, what is it? Mr. Charles Venables is here to see you, John. Uh, if you may just excuse me for a moment. Uh, excuse me. Mr. Venables, this is an honor. How are you, Jen? You see, you're a busy man, so I'll come to the point immediately. You may know that you had to have a big meeting at Leeds on the 24th, and two ministers have a seat. There's room for a third speaker, and I'm authorized to offer that place to you. To me? Yes. That would mean speaking for the government. Almost like a cabinet member. In a way, yes. Jane, isn't that wonderful? Mr. Venables, here's the speech I'm making in the house tomorrow. Thanks. If you still make me the same offer after you've read it. I assure you we look on the speech as a small matter. The thing that really decided it was your determination to put the matter to the vote. To put the... What? And the government agrees to that, too. You agree to put the matter to a vote? Yes, we agree. But... You've been threatening to excommunicate me if I dare. All done to test you, Jan. Test me? Yes, Jan. Had you been intending to talk big in this speech and then back down through fear of the government, we'd have had no further use for you. I understand. Well, I'll take the speech along. But it isn't really necessary to, uh, sir. Uh, there's only one copy, John, you know. Let me make a fresh copy, Mr. Venables, and send it to you in an hour or two. Oh, I couldn't put you to that trouble, Mrs. Shen. Oh, really? I'll take good care of it. If anything were to happen to you on the way home, Mr. Venables... Wouldn't whatever is in your pocket be considered the property of your heir? No, there's all no chance. I think after that you'd better take your speech take immediately. You see, Countess, Mrs. Shen is Scottish too. Yes, so I observe. Well, I must be going now. I'll uh, I'll take you to the door, sir. Goodbye, Countess. It's been a great pleasure. Goodbye, Mr. Venables. Goodbye, Mrs. Shen. Goodbye, Mr. Venables. So, madame, I beg your pardon. Mm-hmm. I said so, madame. I don't know what you mean. Yes, you do. I mean that there is someone who helps from Mr. Shan. There's not. And it is a woman, and it's you. Oh, I, I help in the little things. The little things. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is whether your John is aware that you have at all. Oh. Well, Maggie, Countess. Congratulate me. You heard what he said. I've done it again. I'm so glad, John. And all because you made up your mind to bring the matter to a vote, Mr. Shan. They just guessed I'd be for him because they knew I'm a strong man. As to you, Maggie, a little saw what a good turn you were doing me when you said you wanted me to make a copy of the speech. How, John? Because now I can alter the end. Oh, so you can. Contest, I tell you, there's a little cherub who sits up a lot and looks after the career of John Shan. Where does he sit, Mr. Shan? Well, just a figure of speech, uh, Countess. Well, now I'd better be going back to my ladies' committee. Uh, goodbye, Countess. Goodbye, Mr. Shan. I'm uh, sorry, ladies. Sorry to have kept you waiting, but, uh, Mr. Venable. This, uh, little cherub we speak of. You are sure it is not down here, she sits, Mr. Shan, right in this room? No, it isn't. Goodbye, Scotty. <laughs> goodbye, Countess. And thank you for coming. Maggie, why do you do it? He loves to think he does it all himself. That's the way of men. I'm six years older than he is. I'm plain, and I have no charm. I shouldn't have let him marry me. I'm trying to make up for it.
Leute, Sibyl. Sibyl. It is you who inspires my work. Oh, John. You mustn't talk like that. Sibyl, let us declare our love openly. Oh, my dear. My dear. John. Yes, my love? Did you hear anything? Did you hear the door shut? I door shut already. But it seemed to me that... There was nothing, but... I think I, I hear oh, voices now in, in the hall. Oh, John, dear, I'm sorry to bother you, but I brought uh, some flowers. I bought them from a man in the street and he has no change. Will you, will you come out and take them? I, I will, my dear. I'll be back in a minute. How do you do, Lady Sibyl? This is nice of you to come to see us. I was so sorry not to find you in, Mrs. Stanley. Thank you. Will you sit down? I think not. I'm late as it is. I really ought to be. I'm glad you're so beautiful, Lady Sibyl. I mean, I had no idea it was as late as it is. And... Mrs. Shan, why do you look at me so? The door did open. Yes. What are you going to do? That would be telling. Sit down, my pretty. Well, my dear, trade the man with the flowers. John, I think I'll go upstairs now. I'm sure you have something you want to talk over with Lady Sybil. Mm, how do you? Or would you prefer, John, to say it before me? No. Yes. Yes, I prefer to say it before you, Maggie. Then sit down, the Miss Maggie knows. Don't you, Maggie? Yes, John. I'm mortal sorry, Maggie. And I also. I'm sure you are. But if it can't be helped, I see no reason why the three of us shouldn't talk the matter over in a practical way. If you could understand, Maggie, what an inspiration she is to me in my work. Indeed, Mrs. Shan. I think of nothing else. That's splendid. That's as it should be. Oh, Mrs. Shan. I think you're very kind to take it so reasonably. That's the Scotch way. When are you thinking of leaving me, John? I think now that it's come to a breach, the sooner the better, so long as it's convenient to you, Maggie. Oh, it couldn't well be before Wednesday. That's the day the laundry comes home. And it's the day the House of Commons rises. It may be my last appearance in the House. No, no, please don't say that. And you love the House, don't you, John? Next to Lady Sybil. It's a pity you couldn't wait till after your speech at least. Mr. Venables won't have you there if you leave me. What a chance it would have been. Mm. But let it go. It wouldn't be fair to you, Maggie, if I was to stay on now. Oh, what shall we do, Maggie? Mm. Now's the time, Lady Sybil, for you to have one of your inspiring ideas. Yes. Yes, but, but what? John, John, what do you think of this? I can stay on here in London, and you can go away somewhere and devote yourself to your speech. Yes. That might be, but where could I go? Well, I know, I know. Maggie, what are you doing? Hello, hello. Give me Gerard 5072, please. Yes, 72, thank you. Well, don't be in such a hurry, Maggie. Hello? Is this Lam's Hotel? Put me on to the Comtesse de la Briere, Oh, please. Maggie. Oh, I wish I was fond of you. I wish you were, John. <laughs> Hello. Hello, is that you, Comtesse? Uh, this is Maggie. Yes, Maggie, Stan. Oh, I'm very well, Comtesse. never was better. <laughs> Why, Maggie Shand, you dear abominable one. Why did you not let me know you were coming? <laughs> it's a surprise visit, Tom. I walked up from the station. Well, how is everybody? Mm, quite well. But my child, he seems to me to be a most unhappy man. Really, Countess? What <laughs> does that please you, oh, heartless one? <laughs> I won't tell oh, you. I couldn't take you and shake you, Maggie. Here have I put my house at your disposal for almost two weeks now for some sly Scotch purpose, and you will not tell me what it is. No. Oh, very well, then. At that game, two can play as well as one. Maggie, I have a nasty surprise for you. For me? Yes. I want Mr. Venables to tell you what he thinks of your husband's latest speech. Oh, that speech. Oh, yes, John wrote me that Mr. Venables was dissatisfied with it and, and that he was writing another. We have heard nothing of the acknowledgement. Oh, well, you know, Mr. Venable says that John's second thoughts are sometimes such an improvement on the first. Yes, I remember he's been there. Well, then, when John shows him his second speech, what are you up to now, Scotchy? You know as well as I do that there is no such speech. Contest. Put your cards on the table, Maggie Shandor. What's the thing you got? What? What you've got there? Those papers. John's speech? You have written it yourself. I said it. You guessed that the speech he wrote on aid would not satisfy, and you prepared this to take it. Oh, not at all, Countess. It's a 
you have to be speechfully left at home, that's all. Ah, uh, with a few trivial alterations by yourself, I swear. Can you deny it? Contest, these insinuations are unworthy of you. Oh, Scotchy. Scotchy. Oh, did I? Oh, yes. Yes, take this envelope to Mr. Venables, please. But, Contest, you must... And say it is from Mr. Shan. Oh, Count! How could you? Have a good mind, but I'm coming now. Your husband. Oh, she's with him. My niece, but shall I get you No, no, no. I want her to be here, too. Now I shall know. No, what? As soon as I look into his face, I shall know. Oh. How do you do, Lady Sissy? Maggie. How pretty you look in that frock. You're a feat to the eye. Maggie, you never wrote you were coming. Oh, no, John, it's a surprise, is it? <laughs> Just run down to say goodbye. To say goodbye? Oh, Maggie. Oh, Auntie Julie, the first thing. Mm, I tried. It's becoming far too interesting. I suppose there's no reason why the Conte shouldn't be told. She'll know too soon at any rate. Oh, that's so. It's so simple, you see. Contest, uh, John and Lady Sybil have fallen in love with one another, and they're to go off as soon as the meeting at Leeds has taken place. I think that's putting it correctly, John. Well, in a sense, my dear, but now it turns out I'm not to attend the meeting at Leeds after all. My speech doesn't find favor with the government. There's something wrong with it. Oh, well, now, since you won't be speaking at Leeds, Mr. Shan, there is nothing to detain you here any longer, is there? You and Sybil. Oh, should I send for a carriage? Auntie, please. I promised Maggie to wait till the 24th. This is only the 21st. I'm a man of my word. But I give you back your word, John. You can go now. Maggie. My things are all packed. I think you'll find the house in good order, Lady Sybil. I've had the vacuum cleaners in. And I'll give you the keys to the linen and the silver plate that are in that bag. Oh, and the carpet on the upper landing is a good deal frayed. Please, I don't yeah. want to hear it. And the ceiling of the dining room would do for a, a lick of paint. Oh, I can't you stop her? She's meaning well. Maggie, Look. I know it's natural you to value those things because your outlook on life founded them. But all this jars on me. Does Why should you be so ready to go away? I promise not to stand in your way. You needn't be in such a hurry. There are three days to run yet. <laughs> to the Countess, all this is just a joke. And it seems to be no joke to you, Mr. Sand. Oh, Sybil, my pet, why don't you let him off? Let him off? What he wishes it? Do you? If you come with me, Sybil, I'll do all in a man's power to make you never regret. Uh, so I can make my arrangements for when? No, you can't. Auntie, I'm not going on with it. I'm very sorry for you, John, but I see you. I couldn't say Sybil. I'm weary of you, John. Sybil. I find you. Oh, so dull. Sybil. I'm sorry, John, but I had to tell you before it's too late. Auntie, I can't stand it. I'm going to... Sybil. Sybil. him. It's more than I deserve. Congratulations to you both. Yes. Yes. Oh, what's that? It's disavailable. Oh, there you are, dear. Then coming down. Stay where you are. Don't go. What on earth? Do you know what I think? I think it is about your speech. Then Venables has said all he needs say on that subject and more. I think it is about his second speech. What second speech? Contest. You gave it to him. Wasn't I meant to? What, what oh. is it? What second speech? Oh, John. It's a drop of your first speech that you left at home, and I brought it here with a few little things I've added myself. Just trifles, you know. Things that I was to suggest to you while I was in your speech. And then if you liked them, you could have polished them and turned them into something good. So now she's shown it to Mr. Venable. That's my work, Countess. It is your work, John. Nine-tenths of it. You presumed, Maggie Shannon. Mm. Yes, Very well, and there he comes now. We'll see to what extent you've helped me. Thank you, Thank you, Sam. I congratulate you. Give me your hand. The You've improved it out of knowledge. So you speak that those new tactics make all the difference. Mrs. Shan, be proud of it. I am, John. I am. Oh, Shan... Oh, this will go with the government. Mm, you always said that his second thoughts were best, Mr. Venables. Didn't I? Didn't I? Mm. Excuse me, Countess. I'm off to read the whole thing again. It's amazing the difference of you, Jackie. I do mm, like to read the speech, Mr. Venables. I will go with you. You heard what you said, John. It's a combination. You and me, John. Oh, is it so terrible to you to find that my love for you has made me able to help you in the little things? Little things? It seems strange to me to hear you call me by my name, Maggie. It's as if I looked on you for the first time. Look at me, John, for the first time. What do you see? I see a woman who has brought her husband low. Only that? I see the tragedy of a man who has found himself out. I can't live with you again, Maggie. Oh. Why did you shiver, John? It was it myself for saying that I couldn't live with you again when I should have been wondering for how long I... You've lived with me. And I suppose you've forgiven me all the time. Yes, John. And forgive me still. Yes, John. Heavens above. 
John, am I to go or are you to keep me on? I'm willing to stay because I'm useful to you. It cannot be for a better reason. Oh, it's nothing unusual I've done, John. Every man who's high up loves to think he's done it all himself. Every woman knows that. It's our only proof. Oh, John, if I could only make you laugh at me. Uh, I can't laugh, Maggie. Oh, John. John, look at me. See how easy it is. <laughs> laugh, John. <laughs> Campbell Playoffs presentation of What Every Woman Knows, starring Helen Hayes and Orson Welles. In just a moment, they will both return to our microphone. But first, if you could make the trip with me to Campbell's Kitchen to see them make their chicken soup, I know you'd need no urging from me to try it. You'd see that Campbell's used not merely some, but all the good meat of carefully selected plump-breasted chicken. You'd see them patiently simmer the broth long and slowly in true old home kitchen style till every fragrant drop gleams with chicken richness, deep and full and golden. And then you'd watch them add whole pieces of tender chicken and measure in snowy white rice to make this chicken soup really nourishing as well as tempting. But after all, when it comes to judging a chicken soup as downright good as this, tasting is even better than seeing, so why not plan to have it tomorrow? Once you do try it, I think you'll want to have it time and time again. Because just as sure as you like chicken, you like Campbell's chicken soup. And now, here is Austin Wells. In a very short time, ladies and gentlemen, at the Martin Beck Theater, a bouquet's throw from these microphone emplacements, there's an opening. This means the Broadway season has really begun. Also, it means our star will want to get to bed early these nights because it's Helen Hayes' new show that's opening. The name of a new play, Ladies and Gentlemen. I saw it this summer when she tried it out on the West Coast, and I'd like to tell you about it, but she won't let me. Oh, it's not that I don't want to have the story given away, Austin. It's just that somehow one hates to talk about an opening until it's open. Sometimes even then you don't talk about it, unless you can help it. I know just what you mean. Well, I hope you break a leg. Oh, thank you very much, Austin. But maybe you better explain that to our listeners, I mean. I wish you your biggest hit. But you asked me to break my leg. I think we should make your intentions quite clear. Ladies and gentlemen, our producer isn't rubbing his hands and shuffling fiendishly in the hope that I'll end up in the hospital. It's an old backstage ritual we're superstitious about wishing our friends good luck in the theater, so we wish them the opposite. A compound fracture is likely to interfere slightly with a good performance, so broken bones are the favorite sentiment. They uh, used to kick me in Ireland. Orson, who kicked you? All the Irish actors. Uh, using this good luck business for a pretext? Almost invariably. And now, Miss Helen Hayes. Before we say goodnight, allow me to extend in the best tradition of these things our worst wishes. Your new comedy, ladies and gentlemen, needs no such mumbo-jumbo, but we throw it in to keep up appearances. Please fall down a deep, dry well. Have hay fever from the flowers you'll get, and may the runs in your stockings be as long as Victoria Regina. You'll break records. Your radio producer and all of us on the Campbell Playhouse entreat you to break a leg. In tonight's Campbell Playhouse production of What Every Woman Knows, the role of Maggie was played by Miss Helen Hayes. Orson Welles played John Chan. The part of Alec Wiley was played by Alfred Shirley, David Wiley by Everett Sloan. Agnes Murad was the countess, and Naomi Campbell was Lady Sybil. Part of Mr. Venables was played by Eustace Wyatt and Willie Cameron by Ray Collins. Music for the Campbell Playhouse is arranged by Bernard Herman. And now, Orson Wells, will you please tell us about next week's story? Well, next week. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm ad-libbing this. Hard to tell you about next week's show because everything that could be said about it has been very well said before me. We've gotten hundreds and hundreds of letters from people all over America asking for adventure and romance on these programs. 
so to satisfy this evidently increasing appetite. For these, we are bringing the favorite work of the world's favorite writer of adventure, Alexander Dumas. We're bringing the story of the man who was imprisoned on his wedding day. And don't tell me you've guessed it. And who returned 20 years later for his revenge, the man who was known in Paris as the Count of Monte Cristo. And so, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, until the tragic wedding day of the Count of Monte Cristo and his terrible and exciting revenge, until the swords and daggers and cloaks and poison, concealed murder and revenge, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups and all of us in the Campbell Playhouse, remain as always obedient for yours. <laughs> Makers of Campbell Suits join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us at the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you Alexander Dumas' masterpiece, one of the most colorful and adventurous stories in all romantic fiction, The Count of Monte Cristo. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed tonight's Campbell Playhouse presentation, won't you tell your grocer so tomorrow when you order Campbell's chicken soup? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and good night. Buy it where, when, how you will. You'll find Campbell's tomato juice always the same. In color, flavor, tang. That's because of Campbell's experience in growing and selecting tomatoes. Campbell's skill in pressing them. Campbell's canning method that retains the fresh tomato taste. Safeguards the fresh tomato vitamins. Turn to Campbell's, America's largest selling tomato juice. Drink a breakfast glass of Campbell's. Take a happy step towards health. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That concludes today's episode. We'd like to thank you and remind you to donate at choiceclassicradio.com. Remember, your donations make episodes like this possible.